Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, Seth Walter joins us to break down the analytics side of the Super Bowl, including his favorite player and team prop bets. For that, we have Ben Baby, our Bengals beat writer here at ESPN, breaking down how the Bengals got here. But first, I wanted to quickly tell you about another podcast, and that is The Right Time with Bomani Jones, which is now three times a week. This podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of games across all sports, plus a community of friends, including a guy I'm not a big fan of named Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. There's also two other shows where you can listen to, but if you want Dominique in your life, listen to Foxworth Fridays with Bomani Jones. That's right. The right time with Bomani Jones, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Listen, wherever you get your podcast and Monday and Wednesday episodes are also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. All right. Here's Ben baby breaking down how the Bengals went from last place to the AFC champions. All right, joining me now, here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone I have been hoping to have on for a while now. And what better occasion than having the team he covers for us at ESPN make it to the Super Bowl. Joining me, I believe for the first time here on the show, is my friend, an excellent Twitter follow, a Indian cricket fan, a Cincinnati Bengals beat writer. It's Ben Baby. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How are you doing? I feel like you covered almost all the bases, which is which is quite impressive. And yes, you, uh, more importantly, you, you've referenced the India cricket fandom, which I feel like is partly your fault as well, because I feel like up until you kind of nudged me to get into the Indian Premier League, which is basically the biggest uh, domestic professional league for cricket, uh, mm-hmm. it's all been downhill ever since. Like I've just been in a rabbit hole I can't get out of. Are you upset the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl because it interferes with your IPL auction prep? It, it does not. I, I wouldn't be able to keep up with how the IPL auction works, anyways. And so, for those who don't really, maybe Bill, you can. Can you explain what the IPL auction is? I feel like you will probably have a better understanding of it than I do. I mean, I, I and this would be, like I feel like we're going to get a really angry tweet from someone who knows a lot more about it than I do. Um, basically, imagine if the NFL every year dumped everyone into a like fantasy draft, like every team cut every player, and then there was a, like a three-day period where teams just bid on players. Like it was just like a huge fantasy auction draft for the entire league. I feel like that is what the IPL auction is, um, which would be fascinating. <laughs> I think you'd learn a lot about the NFL, um, but a little maybe too on the nose when it comes to the economics of the NFL. So I don't think it's coming anytime soon, but for the IPL, it's certainly fun. Yeah, I feel like that would definitely not go over very well. It would be very interesting, but yeah, the, I, I just I feel like I would love to see like you know it, it's fun to see two teams going back and forth uh, for for key players. Like I'd love to know what the market's like for Joe Tooney, and if there's like two teams mm-hmm. that are just going toe to toe and find and say, you know what, we're the Kansas City Chiefs, we're going to pay for Joe Tooney, mm-hmm. um, which which now could be you know I know a lot of Bengals fans wanted Joe Tooney That's in true. free agency, and now we'll see how uh, if that would have been a good investment when they faced the uh, Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl. Exactly. That's see, that's a professional transition back to football there from Ben Baby. I, I, I am certainly intrigued. I mean, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I want to know what you felt heading into the season, but I am not surprised the Bengals were better than they were in 2020. They were a little bit unlucky in close games. Of course, lost Joe Burrow to that, uh, you know, really dramatic knee injury, I think in week 10 last year, but I did not see the Cincinnati Bengals 
after the offseason they had, good and bad, making it to the Super Bowl. Now, Ben, I, I'm assuming you're with me on that. Let me know. What were your expectations for the Bengals heading into the 2021 season? Yeah, you know, I, I thought that at minimum the Bengals should be able to be competitive for a playoff berth. I thought that was kind of where they were going into year three under Zach Taylor when you looked at the roster and you said, okay, this is not the best roster, but it's definitely better than it's been in recent years. Uh, this should be a team that competes for a playoff berth. And I had them around uh, seven wins this year, so going seven and ten. You know, I, I thought that they would play well early on mm -hmm. in the year, but as the schedule got tougher, particularly in December, mm -hmm. things were not going to go their way. Now, I think the thing that maybe we didn't account for was how much the AFC North was going to drop off mm -hmm. in, 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 by a considerable amount, to be quite honest. Uh, we saw the Steelers, you know, finally hit the wall, just wasn't able to get anything done with mm -hmm. Ben Roethlisberger uh, under center. I am just stunned at what Mike Tomlin did, to be quite honest with him. Yeah. Make the postseason is just incredible because I watched the Bengals completely dismantle them mm -hmm. in both games this year. And I said, there's no way this team is any good in, in, in that team being Pittsburgh. And sure enough, Mike Tomlin somehow got them into the playoffs, which is mm -hmm. an incredible accomplishment. And, and then Baltimore, you know, we saw – uh, how they how they fare throughout the season and and really I know that we're going to look at the the second game against Baltimore uh, between mm -hmm. the the Bengals and, and the Ravens and say oh you know the Ravens were really ba banged up didn't have Lamar Jackson all these things but in that first game Cincinnati beat them so thoroughly mm -hmm. I don't know if it would have mattered much if, if Baltimore was close to full strength like it was in the first game when you look mm -hmm. at it I think that and I talked to my, one of my editors, uh, you know, about this at the beginning of the season, and, and it may have been actually even dating back to last year, in that the Bengals almost, you know, there's been a feeling on how to play, quote unquote, AFC North football, like there mm -hmm. is a brand of football in the AFC North. And what the Bengals have subtly done over the last couple of off seasons, particularly really when they hired Zach Taylor, said we are not going to play quote unquote AFC North smash mouth football anymore. It's not going to mm -hmm. be. We're going to get a bunch of really good skill players, and we're going to sling it around a little bit, and you're going to try to stop us. And I wonder, and made this could, I mean, honestly, you probably know this about a little bit better than I do, but I wonder if there isn't about to be a paradigm shift in the AFC North because of that. Because when you look at the skill position players that they've amassed the last mm -hmm. few years, particularly at wide receiver, they got T Higgins, they got Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow mm -hmm. was the one distributing the ball. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be really tough to stop, but I did not going back to your original question, did not expect the Bengals to be this good. And, and frankly, I didn't even at the beginning of December did not think this was going to be a team that's playing for a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think about the Eagles right around the uh, right around 2000 or so where they hire Andy Reid, they get Donovan McNabb, they suddenly start throwing the ball more. And that entire NFC is like the classic, like play great defense, run the ball division change when the Washington football team hired Steve Spurrier. Granted, didn't necessarily work out, but like, you know, at least they, they went for a passing attack. The Giants go out and they change their offense and they get Eli Manning and start passing the ball more frequently. Dallas, um, you know, transitions from Troy Aikman. Eventually they get a, a much different passing attack. They got Drew Bledsoe and then Tony Romo. Um, you know, it does feel like that can happen. And, and I think, you know, given how young, the core of this Bengals team is on offense. It's not like this is about to change. It's not like it's a one-year fluke with this roster. Um, in, in terms of the surprise level, I mean, everyone obviously, you know, I, I think if I told you the Bengals were going to make the Super Bowl with, you know, given the A7 10 prediction, which is also probably where I had them heading into the season or probably right around there, um, you know, like, like are, how, how surprised are you? Like, are you just like, okay, well, 
you know, in my wildest dreams, I could have maybe not dreams, but like, you know, in, in the most likely, unlikely outcome, it could have seen this happening, or is it just totally foreign to you, this idea that the Bengals could make it this far this quickly? Yeah, I still don't really understand it, to be quite honest. Though. <laughs> like, I, even like earlier this week, I'm like, are we sure this isn't like a simulation? Like, this team is actually in the Super Bowl? Because <laughs> the thing is, is there's nothing, in, and I really don't want to, you know, poo-poo the Bengals in this game, but because I'm actually picking the Bengals, so any Bengals fans who are mm-hmm. listening and are about to get mad at me, uh, <laughs> please feel free to get mad, but I do have them picked to beat the Rams. But there's really nothing exceptional about this team, if we're being quite honest. Like, in terms of just really quality things that they do better than anybody else in the NFL, they it's not really there across the entire school of things. There's, they do have, you know, the, the Bengals lead the NFL in air yards per attempt, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, and in the playoffs, they've been really good at getting turnovers. And those two things are the things that they do exceptionally well. But other than that, they just really found ways to kind of manufacture wins and and kind of outplay teams in certain moments and come up with big turnovers. And and all in all, like, this is still kind of the team on paper we expected them to be. But, you know, I, I've, I think you've got to give this coaching staff and these players a ton of credit because, mm-hmm. you know, while some of us wondered what the ceiling was like was going to be like for this team – internally they felt like they could compete with anybody in the NFL. And mm-hmm. it's always funny. It's always been a running joke on the beat. Uh, you know, Bengals wide receiver, Tyler Boyd, his go-to catchphrase for years has been uh, the sky's the limit, mm-hmm. which is also every time I think of that, I always think of a, uh, there's a, there's a track on a Lil Wayne mixtape from like the 2008 to 2011 era back mm-hmm. when Wayne was just completely in his bag. He went mm-hmm. over a, a, a Mike Jones instrumental, the sky's the limit. And it is a, a still a banger to this day holds up but every time Boyd says it I hear the beat in my head and I hear Wayne going and and I said okay and over time you started to hear it a little bit more Jamar Chase even uttered it I believe once and and I go okay like they've they believe that if they're playing as well as they can like anything is possible and I think that there is something to be said for that mentality because it it, you know I, I feel like even they never when you when you talk to them about if they believe they could go to the Super Bowl, they never said explicitly, yeah, we thought this was going to be a Super Bowl team in the preseason, mm-hmm. but they felt like if they did everything really, really well, there wasn't a team they couldn't beat. Mm-hmm. And really starting with that week 17 win over Kansas City to give the Bengals a playoff victory or a playoff berth and give them the AFC North, mm-hmm. that, that's when you started to realize and say, oh, you know, if they do play well, you know, they can beat anybody. Now the question is, can they replicate that kind of performance, you know, if three times in the playoffs and sure enough, you know, they've done just enough to get things right. And I mean, all of these games have been close. They've really come down to mm-hmm. about the last play or, or close to it. And, and, you know, I just, I am still flummoxed with, with the fact that, you know, or that the Bengals are playing, you know, for it all. It's just, it's just really remarkable. How many podcasts in the first 15 minutes. How many NFL podcasts in the first 15 minutes are going to reference the Indian Premier League cricket auction and uh, the drought three, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Um, a pretty impressive work from Ben Baby here on the show. I mean, I you know, it makes total sense. Like I, you know, if you told me that Joe Burrow was a top eight quarterback in 2021 before the season, I would be like, okay, well, like, I don't know if that's likely, but I could certainly see it happening. The weapons are there and Joe Burrow is super talented. Like that's not crazy to me, but I mean, the defense improving so rapidly and, you know, just, just, just things breaking the way they did. Like I thought the AFC North would be a little worse, but then if they could be as bad as it was, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just a reminder. I think that things can change so quickly in the NFL, like, like, you know, in terms of our perceptions or what we think about teams and 
you know, during the offseason, I think we all get so confident, about, okay, this is where this team is. This is what they have to do. This is what they can do next year. And then just so much changes over the course of a season. Now, Ben, I mean, having watched this team closely, um, you know, certainly the preseason expectations from everyone were what they were. And, and like you said, Tyler Boyd was saying the sky's the limit all year. But for you, I mean, whether it's the Chiefs game, whether it was something different, was there a moment during the season where like things kind of clicked and you felt like, okay, like, like my expectations for this team are changing and, and what Tyler's saying is true. Like the sky actually is the limit for the 2021 Bengals. Yeah. I thought it was that Kansas city game the first time because mm-hmm. they came out with a sense of fearlessness. And, and I wondered, you know, how, how is Cincinnati going to play Kansas city specifically up front? We know their offensive line is a major weakness. Kansas city mm-hmm. has a very good front uh, with some very disruptive players uh, on that side of the ball on the line of scrimmage. And the Bengals came out in 11 personnel and empty formation. And it was almost like a declaration of war mm-hmm. saying we're going to be firing on all cylinders. We know that you have a good offense, but we think ours is just as good too. And Bill, you know, there's a, I'm so glad I can explain this concept and somebody will understand me and hopefully the listeners will as well. In cricket, there is something called intent. Yeah. And it is vastly different. So to explain it to listeners, it is when you are going to play with ambition, with a sense of purpose, and you know that it may be a little bit risky and, and it may cost you, but you are going to come with an attacking mindset and a mm-hmm. willingness to go and win the game mm-hmm. in an emphatic and decisive fashion. It's something I really don't think we have. Like it's, I can't think of a proper corollary to American sports or really to anything mm-hmm. else. Can you think of anything, Bill, that oh, compares man. to what? I don't know. Like, you know, maybe being like an innings eater in baseball where it's like your, your goal is not really to be like, 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 maybe like, like, like the opposite of an innings eater. You know, like where like the innings in your baseball is kind of like just like sort of like slow and meandering and like they want to be okay. They want to kind of just get the game to the bullpen and let the bullpen take care of the rest. Like that's what maybe the opposite of intent is in cricket, where it's like maybe in cricket, your goal might be to, um, you know, maybe just like in a long test, like just hold on for dear life and and not get out and just, you know, try to, you know, uh, last the night, like the night watchman kind of role. I, I feel like intent is sort of, you know, the opposite of that, where it's to, you know, you're going to not, not try not to lose, but go out of your way to try and win and dominate and, and rack up, you know, rack up runs in cricket, rack up points in football. Yeah. Yeah. The Bengals. So when they came out to, to, you know, week 17, they weren't throwing Shardle Docker out at the crease. They were throwing Brock Holy out there and saying, we're, we're going out all gun swinging. And really it was, it was Rishabh Pond if we're really going to make this analogy all the way, because, (laughs) They went out and they the, the fact that they went in 11 personnel and shotgun mm-hmm. and we're going to throw it around a ton. I mean, Jamar Chase broke the single game record in franchise history for most receiving yards. Yep. That was a sign that, okay, they're not scared of anybody and they're willing to go toe-to-toe with anybody. And I think from that moment on, I said, okay, this is a team that really can beat anybody. Because if you could do that that late in the season – to the reigning AFC champions and really the team that had the only team that had really shown any kind of separation in a very mediocre, you know, and just kind of restricted AFC, so to speak, where everybody mm-hmm. was just stuck in the middle. I That's what I really thought. And then when you go back and look at how well the Bengals played Green Bay, you know, at home early on in the year, granted mm-hmm. Green Bay was missing a lot of people. I said, well, they play like this against the best team in the NFC or one of the best teams in the NFC. They mm-hmm. just beat the best team in the AFC, maybe they can go all the way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In terms of their postseason performance, like, you know, I, I think we always think about play NFL teams and it's like, okay, you have to peak at the right time. And for the Bengals, I think you make the case that, hey, you know, they peaked that, that Ravens game where Joe Burrow was so dominant. And then in the Chiefs game where they beat the Chiefs in the regular season, and then they've been very good throughout the postseason. But then if you evaluate their performance in the postseason, like, do you think they've hit a new level or has this kind of just been what they've been doing before and they've just sort of kept it up here in January? Yeah, you know, I think we've seen a lot of different transformations of this Bengals team. And really, mm -hmm. it's about where, where Joe Burrow's health was at. Because the one thing that we seem to forget throughout the course of the season, I don't know if this is really answering your question. So That's if fine. not, please. Okay, you know, I think that really the one thing that because of how well Burrow played early on in the year and the fact he mm -hmm. never really missed any time is that we forget he had that, that catastrophic left knee injury last year where he tore his ACL and injured his MCL and a lot of other ligaments around, uh, you know, or around that knee. And, you know, he became a little more open towards the end of the season in admitting that around the bye week, which would have been week 11, or right after the bye week, which is week 11, that's when he really started to feel like himself. And, and over the course of the season, we've seen really this team goes as Burrow goes. And that's really mm -hmm. shouldn't be a shock to anybody who's seen them play in mm -hmm. the postseason. But early on, you know, we saw Burrow try to kind of figure th some things out. We see him try to figure out how, how he moves in the pocket. Can he make defenders miss? Can he extend plays? And the other component about this, too, is that in the offseason, while he was rehabbing that left knee, he was also working on adding velocity. It's something that he really wanted to do after last season. You know, he, he was not very good with the deep ball, and that is probably mm. being a little polite, to be quite honest. And in the air, the ball did not look good. I'm going to be quite blunt here. And, and over the course of the offseason, he spent a lot of time with Jordan Palmer, adding velocity on his throws. And, and, and one of the big things that he wanted to do was make sure that all his cleats were in the ground when he was throwing so they could transfer that power from his base up to his arm, which is, you know, it's like a boxer throwing a punch. You don't want to throw it from your shoulders. You really want that punch power to come from your from the lower half of your body in the same mm -hmm. way. Burrow was trying to make sure that his feet were on the ground and carry that velocity through on his throws. And we saw it on the intermediate range. And then over the course and that deep ball definitely got so much better. And he was hitting mm -hmm. guys in stride, just threw some really beautiful balls downfield, which I thought was maybe the last evolution of him as a passer that we would see before we can really start to say, okay, this guy has a chance to be one of the best in the NFL. Mm -hmm. But early in the year, as Burrow was trying to figure out that arm strength, I wondered 
if he wasn't trying to see if he, what kind of windows he could basically push, like what are the limits that he could go with and how tight are the windows that he could try to squeeze a ball into. And early on, we saw him throw, you know, some interceptions, some balls he probably would like back. And he was being probably a little risky. The Bengals coaching staff was never really too concerned because Mm -hmm. Burrow's greatest strength has always been his decision-making. So when you, and I I remember talking to an assistant and basically running down the list, I'm like, well, do you think the receivers aren't creating separation? Well, do you think Burrow's being late? Well, Mm -hmm. do you think this, this, this? And they goes, no, I don't think any of that's it. I really just think that maybe he's just trying to be more explosive. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the, the back half of the season, we saw him be a little bit more judicious while, also being able to find those explosive plays, those big targets downfield, finding Jamar Chase, mm-hmm. T. Higgins, and even Tyler Boyd uh, to a certain degree. And once you started to see that, that's when I was like, okay, that's when we really started to see this offense in, in its fullest form. And then, you know, we hit the playoffs and, and all of that. And now I'm just, I think I've completely just went on a complete tangent here uh, in relation to the first <laughs> question. But but okay. I think that transformation, that offensive transformation has been something that I think has been the biggest kind of, one of the biggest subcurrents for this team this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the case. And I think that, you know, it's been so interesting in that I think when you think about great offenses in the NFL, you think about the, the skill position players, obviously because we're all human and we all are excited about skill position players, but we think about the offensive line and we think about, oh, well, you know, like Tom Brady last year with the Bucks had a great line all year, stayed healthy and stayed productive. But with Joe Burrow, I mean, you know, even though he's been so good this year, and even though they've had the opportunity to hit those deep throws this year, he's done that despite the line, it feels like at times. And I think when you think about the future for the Bengals, that almost makes it more exciting because it's okay. Well, what can Joe Burrow do if he actually even has a good offensive line to work with, let alone a line that has, you know, is missing multiple starters or has guys who have been benched. Like it still feels like there's a lot of meat on the bone for this Bengals offense in the years to come. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think that's why even with a loss in this game, I think the Bengals have to be encouraged because they've got a lot of the big pieces, right. You know, they got the quarterback, right. And, and that's not always, that's definitely not easy to do. No, you know, they sure. got, they got it right with Jamar chase T Higgins uh, you know, in a lot of the skill position players that you would need, Joe Mixon's been a very good running back for them. Who's had to kind of suffer behind the, the bad offensive line to a certain degree. Uh, but he's been really, really good as mm-hmm. well. You know, a well-deserved pro bowl nod for him, but the one thing that does give me pause is that the Bengals, when they saw the line in 2020 and mm-hmm. saw that Burrow got hurt and kind of the metrics behind it and, and the fact that their pass block win rate was quite poor, mm-hmm. um, they still trotted out the bulk of that offensive line in 2021. And they basically said, what we're going to do is we're going to sign Riley Reef, a veteran to play right tackle. Mm-hmm. We're going to draft Jackson Carmen and hope that he can play right guard as a rookie, even though he was a left tackle at Clemson. And then we're going to probably the biggest addition is bring back Frank Pollock, who was previously on staff. And, and a lot of the guys, especially those who had been familiar with him, really thought that he was mm-hmm. a very good offensive line coach. And I think that Pollock definitely is. Guys will swear by him. But ultimately, the plan backfired. Riley Reef got hurt. Jackson Carmen went from being the starter penciled in during OTAs to starting training camp as a third stringer and then not mm-hmm. being able to secure a starting job the entire year. And the Bengals now going into the Super Bowl, Bill, tell me how this isn't crazy. The Bengals don't have a starting right guard solidified. <laughs> and it's not because guys aren't healthy. It's because they just don't have a good option. Right. And I think that is mind-blowing. And I, I feel like – that's the one thing that gives me pause is, is the, is the front office finally going to say, and the coaching staff finally going to say, you know what? We don't have the pieces we need up front. We've got to go get better. 
And this isn't going to really work until we do. I mean, I think the Bengals are very fortunate that they've gotten a lot of things right. But the fact that the offensive line is the way it is, you know, it could be could be a reason they lose this game. And, and to be quite honest, if you're the Bengals, you've got to be kicking yourself because an area you knew wasn't really good enough. Mm-hmm. And it, if that ends up costing you winning the biggest trophy of them all, that's got to be a rough, rough uh, pill to take in the offseason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so much good to take away from what they did during the 2021 offseason on both sides of the football. But I mean, that came into the year as the weakness. And even though they've exceeded expectations in so many ways, still looms as the weakness heading into the Super Bowl. Now, you mentioned you were going to pick the Bengals to win this game. Now, you also brought up the scenario for maybe how they might lose. The offensive line, you figure, would be pretty significant in like maybe the most plausible story if it comes to a Bengals loss. It's not too hard to imagine Aaron Donald just eating. Uh, you know, that, that the interior of that line's lunch and the Rams just dominating up front and seeing maybe a game like we saw last year with the Bucks and the Chiefs. Now, let's flip it. Let's talk about what happens if the Bengals win the Super Bowl. Then what do you think would be kind of the most likely scenario for how the Super Bowl would play out if it ends with a Bengals victory at the end? I, I think that if the Bengals are going to win this game, what they've really got to do is, is pick their spots like we saw in Kansas City and in, in mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, I think that you also want to be mindful, and people have kind of bemoaned me for this, but I think you also got to make sure that, you know, you do balance the risk-reward of making sure you're dropping back a ton with Burrow while also making sure you're not putting him at risk too much because if he's mm-hmm. a guy you think can be your franchise quarterback and you're going to be competing for the next decade, you want to be playing with that in mind as well. And the fact that Zach Taylor came out pretty conservatively against Kansas City after Burrow got sacked nine times – leads me to believe he probably feels the same way, even if he's not necessarily going to admit that. Um, but if the Bengals win this game, which is still a very wild thing to come out of my mouth <laughs> after the last six months, if they win this game, it is no longer unrealistic to think that they may be in position to really have a, have a team that could compete in the AFC for years to come because mm-hmm. they've got really good young pieces like we talked about it and I think that you know when you have a guy like Burrow when you have receivers like Chase and Higgins uh and and a young coach like Zach Taylor who seems to be getting things right more Mm -hmm. often than he gets things wrong I think there's still a lot of room for him to grow as a play caller but all in all I think from a head coaching standpoint I think Taylor's done a very very good job if it wasn't for the play calling I think he'd be getting a lot more praise Mm -hmm. to be quite honest for the the things he's done in turning this team from the worst in the NFL um, to, uh, you know, a Super Bowl contender. Uh, I I think the Bengals are going to be really well positioned to compete, like I said, Mm -hmm. you know, for multiple years. And and I think there's going to be a lot of confidence that they'll, anytime that Joe Burrow's on the field, they can win any game they're in. And, and really that, that feeling has persisted, you know, that's been there throughout the entire season. I felt like if Burrow was playing well, you know, the Bengals are never really out of it. And we've Mm -hmm. seen that, throughout the years that even as the Bengals get down is in both Kansas city games, the fact that they had not only burrow, but a defense that's playing very well, mm-hmm. you felt like there was this confidence that, you know, they, they were never out of it. So I feel like if they win this game, they should be set up very well for the future. Mm-hmm. Let me finish up here by asking you as someone who watches this team closely. I mean, I got, I got to give you the X factor question here for people who are going to watch this game. Who I mean, most people at this point, pretty familiar with Joe burrow, especially if you're listening to this podcast, but who are the guys that be one on offense, one on defense, where you feel like, you know, they might have a, a outsized impact on this game. Again, let's assume a Bengals victory here, but like, like who do you think is going to be, who, who do you think will be the players where 
we'll be sitting here Monday saying, wow, we should have seen these guys coming as, as key difference makers in this game for Cincinnati. Yeah, I think number one, you know, Tyler Boyd, we talked about him a little bit, a.k.a. Mr. Sky's the Limit, and I really want to know if he does enjoy the, that era of Wayne Mixtapes. <laughs> I imagine he might have been, like, in middle school, if he, uh, if not. That's not true. Come on, 2007? Like, oh, that was, like, 07, 08. Like, like Wayne's Oh, one. no. He was 13. Yeah, see? I told that's, you. I mean, I wasn't so much old. older. I mean, I wasn't much older, granted. So Tyler and I are around the same age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, like, I might have been 15 or 16. But that's uh, actually about 17 and 08. So, so yeah, that's uh, – but I would love – I think Boyd has a chance to, to really shine in this game. And really, when you look at it, if the, if the, if the Rams are going to try to take away Jamar Chase and maybe even T. Higgins, mm-hmm. Boyd should have some very favorable matchups. And yeah. the Bengals are going to – if the Bengals are going to try to get the ball out quick – and you're going to have to work the, those intermediate routes or those quick routes. Boyd is about as shorthanded as it gets. And Joe mm-hmm. Burrow praised Boyd a lot on uh, during the lead up to the Super Bowl and said that he's a guy who's invaluable to kind of what they're doing mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. And they he they feels very comfortable with Boyd on a lot of those option routes. He's a guy who's very shorthanded. And against the Rams have done a very good job in the postseason of getting off the field and being really good on third downs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a key if the Bengals can ex- extend some drives. And that's something that they have struggled with throughout this season if they can extend some drives that'll be huge maybe put some wear and tear on that Rams defense early in the game mm-hmm. and then on the other side of the ball I think the two guys I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat here a little bit two <laughs> guys that you really gotta watch I think it's gonna you need Trey Hendrickson and Jesse Bates both to mm-hmm. have exceptional games I think Hendrickson because if he's not getting pressure you're gonna have Matthew Stafford uh giving him a ton of time to throw and in mm-hmm. Stafford will make you pay in that regard. I think with Larry Ogunjobi out, uh, we, you know, who got injured earlier in the postseason, the fact that, you know, he's he was your second best pass rusher and you don't really have – you do have a considerable drop-off between uh, Hendrickson and the rest of the team. I think Hubbard has played well at times, but the, with how much they drop him, he's really more of a kind of a hybrid edge than anything uh, instead of a pure pass rush guy. So you're going to need Hendrickson to win those one-on-ones on the edge. I, you know, I, I, would, I would imagine against Andrew Whitworth – but Bates on the back end, you know, for the Bengals to really, really win this game, I know there's going to be a talk, about, a lot of talk about that Chase Ramsey matchup. You know, mm-hmm. obviously the two quarterbacks playing, but the Bengals have to win the turnover margin. That's a, it's a, it's a very cliche thing to say, but that's the only real thing that they've done exceptionally well. And anytime they've needed a turnover, not just in the postseason, but throughout the regular season as well, mm-hmm. they've seen to manufacture one when the chips have been down. And if they are able to maybe bait Stafford into some turnover-worthy throws, which he does give you some, you've got to be able to take advantage of those. And, you know, and if they are, I think Bates can can do a good job of, of kind of playing center field, so to speak, and really mm-hmm. going back there in cover one. He's got such great uh, range, good, good, good ball skills, you know, good speed, all the things that you need in kind of a corner or a safety, excuse me, who's asked mm-hmm. to cover that much ground. And I think he could have the type of game that not only wins them the Super Bowl, but it could be good enough to convince the Bengals not to give him a franchise tag in 2022, but actually give him the long-term deal that he definitely deserves. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Jesse Bates, I think, a, a wildly underrated player around the NFL. And I think we've seen him come up with big plays throughout the postseason. The interception, of course, on that first play against Tennessee, where he was playing, like he said, as a cover one safety in the, in the middle of the field, and then forcing that interception uh, on that, that Tyreek Hill uh, pass attempt in overtime that led to the Bengals kicking that game-winning field goal. So, I mean, just a, a super talented football player, and I think someone you're going to want to watch coming up on the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, uh, as I realized how how much younger, not only Tyler Boyd, but also you were, Ben, than I uh, after 
basing it off of when uh, the Drought 2 came out or the Drought 3. Or I'm, I, I was listening to Dedication 2 at this time, which is right around the same time. So I feel like I am uh, just a little older than I care to be. And I'm going to just maybe shuffle off this mortal coil uh, before the Super Bowl gets here. But Ben, it's been a blast having you on. Where can people check out more of your Bengals coverage? Not only heading into the Super Bowl, but heading into the offseason as well. Yeah, you know, just on the ESPN.com uh, .com page, excuse me, uh, just have the Bengals as your home feed uh, on the app, which is huge, and then also on the website. You know, I, I it's been so much fun to see the work that you've done that a lot of our, 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 our writers have done going into the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just been so awesome to see the collection of talent that we have at ESPN, and it's really one of the reasons I came over to the company in 2019. It's been uh, so much fun. I was not expecting to cover a team uh, in the Super Bowl. I was not <laughs> supposed to be working in February uh, like this, but it, it's been a blast, and and we'll see what happens on Sunday if the Bengals have one more upset in them this postseason. Well, Ben, baby, we didn't even talk about Whataburger. So much other stuff we didn't get to. Have to have you back on during the offseason to catch up more with what's going on with you. But thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to Ben. Of course, check him out on Twitter at Ben underscore baby. And we'll be back in a minute with Seth Walter of ESPN talking about the analytic side of the Super Bowl and some of his favorite player and team props heading into the big game. All right, back here on the Bill Barnwell Show. We just had Ben Baby on to talk about the Bengals now joining us to talk about this matchup on the whole and get to some of his favorite prop bets heading into the Super Bowl. It is one of the smartest people at ESPN, one of the people you should absolutely be reading each and every time he is on the website. It is ESPN sports analytics writer, Seth Walder. Seth, how are you? I'm great. That is a too kind introduction, but I'm just fired up to be here and talk about this game for, with you. And I'm excited to hear what your props are. That, that's <laughs> yes, we each, we each have several props. I have four-ish, maybe five, depending on how much time we have and how how brave I am. One of them is a little iffy. I'm a little, I'm like maybe confident in the data, but also maybe not confident in the data. So we'll get to those in a minute. But, but first, Seth, I want to talk to you about the game itself because um, I know I'm interested in the game from a numbers perspective. Of course, you do that on a really high level, much higher level than me at ESPN. I, I want to ask you what you think about this matchup because I guess let's start with the simplest thing. Let's start with the, just the broadest possible look at these two teams because by different metrics, this kind of looks like not a mismatch, at the very least, a, a situation where one team should be a comfortable favorite by uh, DVOA, the Football Outsiders Efficiency Metric. The Rams are a top five team. The Bengals are a league average team by ESPN's Football Power Index. Not as dramatic of a difference but the Rams fourth in the NFL, the Bengals 13th. So a pretty, you know, dramatic swing for a, a one, one game. And granted, yes, the variance of a single game is, is so much that it doesn't mean the Bengals can't win by any means. But like the advanced numbers seem to say this is a matchup of a really good team versus a team that's kind of closer to league average. So Seth, I mean, number one, do you agree with that sentiment? And number two, is there anything you think the numbers are missing when it comes to capturing the sort of the true talent level or, or the current talent level and performance level, I guess, of this Bengals team? I, I don't disagree with the numbers. I think they make a lot of sense. I think the one area, the one sort of like case for it seeming closer is that this year there wasn't the, – the upper echelon teams in the NFL this year mm -hmm. were 
were at a lower level than we've seen in some recent past years. So there wasn't like these kind of extremes. And so when we say that the Rams were the fourth best team this year, that's relative to last season. That's not, or relative to recent seasons, that doesn't make them like that crazy Mm -hmm. good. And so I think there's, there's some of that going on, but also like, there's a lot of reasons to look at this Bengals team and say they're just above average. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think that, uh, you know, if we just look at EPA, which is, you know, what, what, what FPI is largely based on, like mm-hmm. they ranked 14th, you know, including the postseason in mm-hmm. offensive EPA. Like if we look at just dropbacks, they're ninth. Um, I think that to me, the thing that happens with the Bengals is there's this, Sometimes this is just my perception of the Mm -hmm. perception, which is that (laughs) Joe Burrow's passing stats can be misleading. If Mm -hmm. you're looking at any statistic that where the denominator does not include sacks or interceptions, maybe. And so while he has been had some really impressive numbers, like he led the league in yards per pass attempt, he Mm -hmm. led the league in completions percentage over expectation, but those numbers conveniently leave it out his largest weakness, um, which is taking sacks mm-hmm. and they don't overly punish him for interceptions, which he throws at an above average rate. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we look at this passing game, we look at this offense as a whole, it's merely above average and they're, and they're certainly, and they're a liability in the ground game and they run too much, but, <laughs> um, uh, but, but like all that together just makes them, you know, just kind of above average and they have a, a good defense, but, but not, not elite. And all that put, makes them above average just doesn't put them on the same level as I think the Rams who, you know, if we look at their EPA per drop back, they rank second in, mm-hmm. in the league, you know, just behind Kansas city. So there's a, there's a, there's a difference there between those teams. So we're right on market. You know, we have it four and a half point game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And I, you know, like, like this has been a postseason where we've seen teams, right. That have been, you know, sort of overachieving relative to what their mm-hmm. underlying performance say kind of disappoint when we get to January, Tennessee, which was a below average team by DVOA, I think, and certainly closer to average in a lot of places lost their first playoff game, even though they were getting back a bunch of guys who were supposed to make them better than the numbers indicated the Packers lose their first playoff game in the NFC. And they were a team that, you know, their performance was better than some of the numbers suggested. And this Bengals team, I mean, you know, yes, like, like uh, sweeping the chiefs, that's meaningful. The chiefs are a great football Mm -hmm. team. It's a very impressive thing to do. Beating Tennessee on the road. Tennessee is still a good football team. That's impressive to do. They also lost to the jets and like, like they lost to the bears. They lost to the jets like that that counts, you know, like, like, I, I mean, I, I get that that was earlier in the season and I think it's, you know, natural to make the case that, oh, well, they're better now than they were then. But like, that's still part of the range of outcomes is not as good as the Jets, which is a serious problem to me. It's true. It, it's, <laughs> it's I, I completely agree. It, it is, it, it is wild how that can happen. Right. And, uh, and like, I mean, think about the Bills losing the Jaguars and so looking back on some of these games. By the way, that was a game where the Jets recovered, the Bengals recovered two of two fumbles. And that was the Mike White game where Mike White threw 405 yards and three touchdowns. Like, (laughs) it's incredible. I mean, that is, that is amazing. So I I do think, you know, I don't want to take away from the Bengals. Like they've, they've, they've done you know, they won the games. They deserve, sure. they deserve to be here. You know, like that's cool. And by the way, I've been giving this analysis 
this like all postseason and i've just been wrong just you know <laughs> over and over and over again so i guess we'll i guess we'll see but i do think that there is like the rams are four and a half point favorites and i think that they deserve to be there is a clear delineation between these two teams mm-hmm. now you mentioned joe burrow taking sacks and certainly joe burrow deserves some of the blame for that I think you can also make the case that his offensive line is not especially imposing on paper. And you look at the numbers for Joe Burrow's offensive line by ESPN's uh, win rate statistics, it's not ideal. It's not what you would hope to have protecting your franchise quarterback heading into the Super Bowl. So, so Seth, how much stock do you put in sort of the pass block win rate numbers for the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line? And is there any hope for them to kind of hold up against Aaron Donald and this Rams front? I put a lot of stock in it. And I think that this is a, this is, this is the game I think right here. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me put it this way. Like sometimes I think we talk about mismatches in a Super Bowl and we highlight certain spots. Mm -hmm. This is a truly, truly extreme case. We have the, the Bengals who rank 30th in pass block win rate. Mm-hmm. You're the Rams ranked first in pass rush win rate. <laughs> and by the way, I think that might be like kind of underselling where the Rams are at right now, because that's the regular season. Von Miller is a different person than what we've seen postseason. Von Miller, like he personally, mm-hmm. he wasn't on the Rams for part of the year. And then he was, Oh, you know, okay. Uh, during the regular season. And now I'm going to steal a stat from uh, Henry buggy, our NFL live researcher. If we look at, the history of pass rush win rate, which is only five years long, both seasons, players with 30 plays with a winner, winner, a loss or more. Von mm-hmm. Miller's had the best pass rush win rate postseason of anyone in those five years. And we're talking about the Rams second best pass rusher here. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> they are, they're in such an elite situation going against such a weakness. And then you have Aaron Donald going against more like on a player level mm-hmm. guards, you know, Quinn Spain, Hakeem Adeniji, and maybe Jackson Carmen. Spain and Adeniji ranked bottom five pass block win rate among guards. Mm-hmm. And Carmen didn't qualify, but if he did, he would be dead last in the, among guards. And mm-hmm. that's who's, you know, who you have in front of Aaron Donald. So I think it's a, it's a tremendous problem yeah. for, the, for the Bengals. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would say, and I don't think this is meaningful, but you know, you mentioned Von Miller and how good he's been in the postseason at times in the past. Aaron Donald, surprisingly, has not been all that great in the playoffs in years past. I think, uh, let me put up the number to really talk about it, because I was going to mention it in my column. Nine games so far in his postseason career, only four sacks, 14 knockdowns. So not, not terrible numbers by any means. But like outside of maybe that Seahawks game in, in the 2020 postseason, like we haven't seen that sort of, you know, like, oh my God, Aaron Donald is the most terrifying person on the planet game for him. Not saying that that's meaningful and not saying that there's something wrong with him in the postseason, just that it hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, it, it certainly feels like if it's ever going to happen, given the people opposing him on the Cincinnati side of the field, it feels like this might be the game where he does have that breakthrough. I think that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. But I will say that this year has been his best, I think, from a win rate perspective. Like I mentioned, yeah. Von Miller being number one on that list. Like Aaron Donald's 2021 20, is sixth on that list. So I do think that, and, and you're right, like his his other, uh, at least from a win rate, win rate perspective, his other postseasons are not not nearly as high. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe this is the, this is the true 
postseason dominant performance, it would be a good time for it. Now, how do you like? Is there any way you can think of where the Bengals might try to like sort of uh, escape that? Like, like do you think they just have to endure that and win, or is there any way they can actually have a a game where Aaron Donald does not have a significant impact here? Okay, here's what I think. So I think quick game, a lot of play action, motion, mm-hmm. rollouts, all the tricks that help your pass protection. A lot of those things are things like that the Rams do a lot. Um, I think that to me, this is the key for the Bengals for the whole game. And this might sound counterintuitive, but I think they have to, they have to pass way more on, on early downs. And I think people might think, well, you need to run so that you can slow down the pass rush. But to me, the issue is the best way to get sacked is to be in third and long or third and medium. And if they run, run, if they go run, run, pass, that's what they're going to find themselves in. And that's when Donald and Miller are going to be able to really come after Burrow. So to me, I think they got to, they got to pass early for multiple reasons. Like it's also just their running game is inefficient, like I mentioned, Mm but, but I think that's, to me, that's a way you can actually suppress that pass rush a little bit. Mm -hmm. What what do you think? I, I mean, I mostly agree. I, I think screens are going to pop up. I think they have to get their screen game going. I think you have to at least try and run the ball and try and slow down the pass rush that way. I, um, you know, I, I don't think there's like some easy solution. Like, there's no one coming off the bench to save, uh, to, to save uh, Denji and to save um, uh, Prince. Like, it's just you're going to have to hope they survive. And, and we saw them bench uh, Denji for for Jackson mm-hmm. during the game in the AFC championship game. And after like a quarter, they were like, yeah, this isn't any better. Let's just go back to the other guy. At least he got reps with the one. So like, it, it, it's just a bad matchup. And like, you know, teams win with bad matchups. It certainly mm-hmm. happens, but um, it, it, it just loops. Like it's like the most obvious way for the Rams to win this game. Now, let me ask you uh, mm-hmm. though, on the other hand, like, like I well, actually, no, let me start with this in terms of the Rams side of things. I assume that if they win this game, you're projecting it's going to be because the pass rush is the the most dramatic difference maker. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think I think so. I think like there's a lot of. I mean, I don't know. This is just like a gut feeling, you know. But like to me, there's like a wide range of how this the Bengals offense versus Rams defense can go, and I mm-hmm. think that it, it it's that that pass rush is a potential for this to go really badly for the Bengals. Obviously, like you said, teams win with bad matchups all the time, but I think that's the way where that's the easiest way for the Rams to just win, to win, to win this game handily. I think so. Yeah. I I think that makes sense. What about the flip side though? Like, like if we're, if we're writing about a Bengals victory Mm -hmm. on Sunday night or Monday morning, what do you think the most likely scenario or the most likely story is for how the Bengals get there? Okay. So I, I teased a second ago, but I think, I think the key is going to be passing the ball a ton. And mm-hmm. I wrote And so I, I wrote about this and I actually did a, a mini analytics survey. You know, <laughs> I didn't tell you about this. I, I, I texted six current or former analytics staffers. Okay. And I asked them, you are in charge of the Bengals quarters one to three outside the two minute warning. How many early down runs are you giving to Joe Mixon? Assume it's a one, and you can assume it's a one score game the entire the entire time. And some gave their answer in, in a rate, and some gave their answer in a number. Okay. The average. Do you want to take it? Do you want what would you what would you do? Firstly, Bill, if you don't, I'm putting you on the spot. So what would what the average? Would, what would the run rate be? Yeah. Oh boy, I. Hmm, 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 hmm. 
if I if I had my druthers, or what do I think the Bengals will do? No, no. Well, if you had your druthers, if I had my this druthers, is, this is the Barnwell led Bengals. Yeah. That's true. Uh, first off, they're not in the Super Bowl. They're going. Like, <laughs> they're they're two and fifteen. I've been fired in midseason, but if for some reason I got there, I would say like thirty percent. Okay, the number. Okay, so that would put you. Um, much lower than what the Bengals normally do and yes. higher than every analytics staffer that I asked. Oh, so, no. <laughs> um, but I think that shows, okay. Like I think that shows the gap. So the, so the, on average, firstly, they said five, like 5.8 carries or like 19% mm-hmm. um, was, was kind of the average, but like, here's the crazy thing to me about this game. This is my favorite stat of the Super Bowl. The two teams in the regular season with the largest difference in EPA per dropback and EPA per design carry mm-hmm. were the Rams and Bengals. Wow. So those are the two teams that we could be most confident in saying these guys run the ball too much. Mm-hmm. They and and the arguments go like, you know, we everyone I think knows, and it's and it feels like we were, you know, feels like people like me are always saying, you know, pass, pass, pass. Mm-hmm. But the argument always goes right, like that if you pass more, you're gonna there's gonna be diminishing marginal returns on sure. those additional pass plays, right? But you know, uh, but but if you have such a wide gap, then we know that you should be, we know you should be passing more. Mm-hmm. And so I think the numbers are just screaming for Cincinnati to pass more. And I do think it is like a a weird way to counteract the. And they have to keep them honest. I'm not talking about zero runs, right? Like I think mm-hmm. I think 20 percent early down runs is reasonable. Um, they 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 run like forty six percent of the time in the in the scenario I outlaid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think to me that's that's the key. Like Joe Burrow is gonna if you're gonna win this game, it's gonna be because of Joe Burrow and Jamar mm-hmm. Chase and T Higgins, and you, you got to throw the ball. You got to throw the ball to win. This is why I don't work in the NFL, Seth. Because <laughs> no, no, thirty percent would be. I mean, think about you know forty six. The if they're doing it forty six percent of the time, then thirty percent. Under the Barnwell led Bengals would be a significant, in my opinion, improvement. Now they have thrown the ball more towards the end of the season, but mm-hmm. as Tony Irmo mentioned um, early in the first half of that Chiefs game, a bunch of times he felt like they were running the ball too much. So uh, I, you know, I, I will be intrigued to see what they do. Certainly, it feels like that is a way they can improve their chances. Um, independent of what happens with the game script, like if they go up fourteen nothing, I'm sure they're going to start running the ball. If they go down 14 nothing, I'm sure they're going to just abandon it and start throwing it. So I, I, I'll be really fascinated to see what they do. Me too. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely, the, yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching. Okay. So let's hit some play, well, some player, team, cross sport, whatever you have for props. So I'm assuming, uh, unless we say otherwise, these are from the Caesars Sportsbook. Um, I am going to, I think I have four from Caesars and one not from Caesars, but as you are the guests, Seth, and I think there's at least a chance that we have duped at least one of our props. Just my guess. We have not talked about it in advance. I will wonder. I will let you go first. Okay. I will go with Jamar Chase under 79 and a half receiving yards. Okay. I don't have this one. Why Jamar Chase under 79 and a half? So, I do our best. I do. I contribute to our best bets column on dot com. I've done all year, and I've been doing Jamar Chase on all year, pretty much. <laughs> um, so 
I, one thing I do is track what I uh, expected receiving yards. So basically like from NFL next gen stats, we have expected completion percentage and we mm-hmm. also have expected yak. So we can kind of smush those two together and yep. get expected receiving yards. And Jamar Chase, his expected receiving yards per game is 54.4 this year. Okay. Now that's way below the line. And now there are exceptions, but normally when I've tracked this throughout the year, that number has has been very close to the line. Now there's some okay. good reasons for that should be that that chase should be below that the line should be higher, right? Like he's a total yak monster, mm-hmm. Burrow leads the league in CPOE. So you shouldn't expect him to <clears throat> outperform that. Mm-hmm. But I think with Chase, you have a little bit of a like a mean median thing going on, right? Like yeah. when you're picking props, it's not the mean chase number, chase receiving yards that matters. It's the median. And so mm-hmm. I think we, with him, he might have a 200 yard game at any given point, but the median is, is what we care about. And so to me, his target volume, you know, it's lower than other elite receivers. And so mm-hmm. I think that that says we should probably go under. And I have, that's all without mentioning the words, Jalen Ramsey. Right. <laughs> and so I think, you know, if you have, if you have this and thinking, well, Ramsey's probably going to be on chase some of the time, at least mm-hmm. maybe a good amount of the time that also pushes me towards the under. Yeah. I don't know. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I mean, certainly, you know, it feels like the variance with Jamar chase is pretty high. Like, you know, in terms of just, yes, he can break a 50 yard run after catch like we saw against Tennessee and get so close to that number of one play, but like you don't lose more if he goes a hundred yards over the total versus five yards over the total. So like, like that variance doesn't really hurt you in terms of, um, you know, like, like you're not going to lose any more. And I think the, mm-hmm. the, you know, it's stickier is going to be the, the target share and the target share for Jamar Chase does not typically support this heavy of a, of a workload. Now I, I, I went back and I watched, um, I wrote about this for my, my column that's coming up tomorrow in the Super Bowl. I went back and I watched the, uh, the Seahawks games for Jalen Ramsey this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett didn't play in the second one, so I only really watched the first one. And I kind of thought, okay, the Seahawks run a similar offense to the Bengals where they're both Rams, McVay influence. Um, they have two superstar receivers. So let's see what Jalen Ramsey does. Is he on DK Metcalf all the time or is he moving around? And the answer was, he was on DK Metcalf like 65% mm-hmm. of the time. He was on Tyler Lockett like 25% of the time. And about 10% of the time, he was on somebody else. Like he was on a tight end or a running back. Like they, you know, with Mike Evans, it was different because I think he was really only going to focus on Mike Evans. So he was mm-hmm. on Mike Evans pretty much every snap or at least lining up um, at least outside, around Mike Evans. And then if they played zone, you know, he would they would follow him a little bit, but not always. And if he was a man, he would follow him more frequently. Um, but it's not like he was on one receiver for the entire game. So I feel like that is the, the only thing that would give me positive to our chases that I think there's some element of Jalen Ramsey being priced into this line. And I don't think they're like, they're like the second least man heavy team in football in terms of how frequently they run man to man coverage. So right. that wouldn't bother me all that much, but I do think that you're right about the target share for sure. Nice. Okay. I feel 10% more confident. After, after <laughs> okay. Here's my first one. And please tell me if I'm wrong. Cause I feel like I'm <laughs> off here. Will the first play from scrimmage Seth result in a first down? 
And I am going to say no, which is minus 330. Minus 330. The implied probability is 76.7%. Okay. This this year, Seth, the Bengals and Rams, uh, five of their plays on offense out of 40 games resulted in a first down on the first snap. So 87.5% of the time, they did not get a first down. And the league as a whole, I don't want to fall uh, subject to the base rate fallacy and get yelled at by our colleague, Brian Burke. <laughs> um, the league as a whole did not pick up a first down on 83.4% of the opening plays of the game. I've seen the Rams run a lot of like runs or smoke throws to Odell Beckham um, on, on early snaps. I, I don't believe that they are going to get a first down on the opening snap. And I feel like, um, you know, if you can get like maybe a, this is some, almost 77% for implied, probably about 84% would be my expectation. So you're getting about a 7% a gap between, you know, ex- the expectation and the implied odds of the bet. I feel like that's pretty good for a, a bet that has long odds, but not like crazy long odds, like a safety bet or a, you know, a overtime bet. I, I think I like that. And it's like, cause like, because of the base rate and like, if it were the chiefs, you know, a team where it's like, they're just going to pass way more on first yeah. down than you, than a normal team. Then I'd be like, well, we got to really adjust here, but these two teams, I'm yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I sort I, of feel go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I just to your point about the Bengals running, like if they get the ball first, like I, I would be honestly more surprised if they threw the ball on first down than if they right. ran the ball. Right. I think that's, I think that's a little value. Yeah. I like it. Okay. What's your next one? Uh, my next one is where should we go? Okay. So um, one thing I did in the, um, no, I'll go, I'll go with this next one. Let me ask you a question really quick here. Okay. What's your read on the Rams safety situation? If Taylor Rapp is healthy, which two do you think will start? I think we will see Taylor Rapp as the sort of backup safety. Eric Weddle is not only going to start, but he's going to have the green dot. Right. In the game. So do you think is, Nick Scott and Weddle? Yeah. I, Nick Scott's played good. Like he had, there was oh, one. Oh yeah. This snap. is, this is a pro Nick Scott prop coming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Nick, Nick Scott is a, is like, has been legitimately impressive. Like he has made, he had the interception in the Bucks game. He's been very proactive as a pass defender. Like they trust him playing the, the, you know, the deep middle of the field. So that tells you that they are not worried about him being a guy they can put back there. So I think we'll see some Taylor app. I think we'll see some, you know, three safety sets at times, but mm-hmm. I really think that we're going to see, um, you know, because oh, the other thing that comes up is that the Bengals are the, these two teams are the uh, teams who stay in 11 personnel more frequently than anybody else in football. Mm-hmm. So I think you're not going to see a lot of base defense in this game. So I think you'll see some free safety. You'll see some, a lot of nickel. So I, I would say you're going to see very little, Taylor Rapp, and I think you'll see definitely uh, a good amount of Nick Scott. Excellent. Well, I'm going to say Nick Scott, eleven to one to record an interception. This is the, wow. this is the one. This one's at Bet Rivers, um, and I did some back of the napkin math here. Okay. Okay. So over the last five years, you've got thirty five percent of interceptions have mm-hmm. been from safety. So remember that number, right? So. I looked at the Joe Burrow interception line and okay. the, the implied mean off of it. I Here think we go. The implied mean is 0.73, roughly 0.73 interceptions. Okay. okay. So 35% of the 0.73 interceptions is 
like 26% ish, a little under 26%. Mm-hmm. There are two safeties on the field. That's true. That would put you, that would put you at 12.8, 12.9%. I love this. Per safety. If we're just talking about base rates, like, like we talked about, except the thing is about Nick Scott is that he's played really well. Yeah. Like his nearest defender numbers are uh, kind of crazy good. Mm-hmm. Like uh, 0.2 yards per coverage snap, negative wow. 21% completion percentage over expectation. Some of this is a small sample. Like he's obviously played less than other safeties, but sure. among guys with 300 coverage snaps who played at least 60% of the time at deep safety that ranked first and second, respectively. Wow. Like I, uh, I, I, I feel like as long as, as long as he plays and he's played a hundred percent of the snaps in, in the last three games, mm-hmm. As long as he plays, I got to think that's a good bet. Yeah. Right? Man. You put the work in. I, I feel good about that one. Okay, good. All right. That, yeah. one, that was like, I was, I was feeling like I was missing something. So it, it's, it's, it's reassuring to hear you say that. I mean, you never know. Like, I certainly could happen that, that he does not play or doesn't play a lot or they, they mix in a lot of Taylor Rapp. But mm-hmm. like, certainly on, on the, the merits of his play, the dude has earned the starting role in the Super Bowl, and, and it wasn't like they were rushing Taylor Rapp back last week, right? Right. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's a good bet. Um, what else do I have here? Okay, I will give you my non Caesars bet as well. And this is these are all please please for entertainment value only um, because I may have screwed up the research. Who knows? This one I feel like is very up in the air. When it comes to whether the data I was working off of is accurate, uh, the only William Hill book said you can bet that what we can bet on whether a missed extra point or field goal will hit the uprights. Wow! Not so. Not just not just whether a kick will hit the uprights and go in, but specifically that it will result in a miss, a failure. Mm. The bet the no is minus six hundred. So an implied probability of 85.7%. Seth, I went through all the games this year. I went through every play-by-play uh, log. Play, play, it wasn't a manual process. I grabbed it from, uh, I grabbed it from a place I'm, I'm not going to mention. But I went through the play-by-play play logs. I stripped out all the, the, the kicks. I, I stripped out the one-sided penalties. And there is a line in the play-by-play where official scorers are supposed to mention that a kick hit the uprights. 30 games this year had that happen at least once. So 254 had, uh, did not have a kick or missed kick hit the uprights. That's 89.4%. So I, I think there might be a little bit of an edge on the no here. Let me ask you a question. Does crossbar count the same? Uh, I, that's a good question. So in, I I have seen several iterations of this prop. One of them explicitly says crossbar does not count. I think, I think you would be able to get away with it because the uprights are technically a different thing. The uprights and the crossbar are different. So I think you would, I I think the crossbar does not count here. That is that's a deep cut, but I really, you know, I mean, I like, who am please, I to argue with math, Bill? Please, please, please do not bet this, to be clear. <laughs> please do not, do not take what I'm saying here and risk money you've earned on it. Because again, the, the data is, 
I, I, I'm, I'm hoping it is accurate, uh, but this is just for entertainment value. That's amazing. That's a good one for, for fun, for entertainment. That's a fun one. Yes, please. Your next bet. My next one is okay. I, in the preseason, I did a, I did a sack model for the season long, yep. season long. Um, and I was happy about that. And I wanted to do a game level one and I, I didn't, I didn't, I ran out of time before the season. And then last week I was like, you know what? It's one game left in the year. Let's do this. So I don't, I wouldn't call this the full finished product. I'm going to try and do that for next year, but I did make a model for sacks um, for individual players. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes into account, you know, your win rates and your pass sacks and the, and the team you're facing and all that. Mm-hmm. And the best bet out of that model is Trey Hendrickson under half a sack plus 120. Ooh. We have Trey Hendrickson or we, this, this, this model sitting here on my computer, <laughs> we, we, this, this thing on my screen says that there is a, after we, after we remove pushes, after we remove half sack pushes, mm-hmm. 59% chance of under half a sack for Trey Hendrickson. Wow. I mean, I think the key here is the thing that we kind of talked about earlier. I mean, Joe Burrow takes, gets sacked at about, almost double the rate that Matthew Stafford does. Mm-hmm. And so there's just fewer to go around. Yeah. And Hendrickson getting plus 120 on that. I think I I like that, I think. I mean, uh and and that's not you know, that's not a uh, Yeah, I saw I think I'm I think I'm there. I think I'm yeah. uh, I think I like it. Yeah, I mean a couple things I think also point to uh, reasons you might be optimistic about Trey Hendrickson not getting on the stat sheet. Number one, he's going up against Andrew Whitworth, who I mean did get injured during the postseason or late in the regular season, I think, um, but should be healthy for the Super Bowl. Obviously, a guy who's you know playing into his 40s, which is insane. But um, the guy who I think was he number one or two in pass block win rate this year, Andrew Whitworth. Like he's certainly I think three, but you know he's sort of a longtime stalwart of the top five, right? Like, like a very good pass blocker. And this is a Bengals team that last week had a lot of success dropping eight into coverage. And I don't think they're going to have to do that like 30 times or anything, but I would hardly be surprised if they did it 15 times in this game mm-hmm. um, to try and take away some of those throwing lanes from Matthew Stafford. So wouldn't shock me at all if we saw Trey Hendrickson drop into coverage for a few snaps, which takes away more opportunities for him to get after the quarterback and get sacked. So I, I do think that there's, um, you know, not only for evidence, but I think even the factors that I might look at beyond that, I think we think that Trey Hendrickson is probably not, um, you know, at the very least, you know, certainly well within those odds to not get a sack. Uh, and I will say this, the model did not include the individual individual matchup. So while, you know, both, yeah. both Rams tackles are good, but Whitworth is, is the better one. So the fact that he's going against, you know, their better tackle is even more reason to like them yeah. now. And he, um, he does not move typically. Like he plays pretty right. much he every plays snap, just that side. Yeah. Just on the left side. I think he has not played a single snap on the right side. Uh, this postseason. looking at this next gen, uh, player location heat map now. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is absolutely one I would, I would be interested in. Um, let me go with another nerdy one here. Um, I will go, hmm. I have two different quarter bets. I will go with this one. Okay. So will, no, actually, I'll go with, I'll go with this one. Hmm. 
This is tough. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Will any quarter be scoreless? Mm. So I'll look back at the last decade. Um, this game's total is 48 and a half, I believe. Yep. Um, so 48 and a half. I looked at totals that were in the 47 to 50 point range. And in those games, 17% of those games had at least one quarter where the two teams did not score. So 83% of the time, there was not a quarter where things were scoreless. The no here is minus 380, implied probability 79.1%. So about a 4% edge there on the implied probability. So I feel like just based on what we've seen over history in similar games, I lean towards no having a little bit of value there. I think that makes sense. I'm trying to think if there's any reason why this game should be you know different, different than, right. than other totals or other games with a similar total. But like, what, what did you say the what did you say the percentage was the seventeen or I'm sorry it's eighty three percent in in games where the total was forty seven to fifty so one and a half points on either side of this total yeah I think that makes sense I feel like it's re- like these are like the least fun that's to bet right like minus three eighty but I think it's probably reassuring that like that you're sort of finding yourself on onto these spots right right you know I I think there's definitely some built in pricing to try and make the yes side a little friendlier but sure i mean you're getting you're, if you're willing to put the money down like like yes you're it's going to be a bummer when you lose I, I lost on two consecutive safety bets uh about a decade ago and that was no fun but um you know like, like you you have history on your side and i feel like that is comforting i think that makes sense and i think that i'm trying to think but i don't i don't see anything like it would be to me it would be a, a coach that shows you know, or like urgency, right? Like they're, they're, but neither of these coaches, they're both sort of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that makes, I, I, there's no reason to me that, that says like you should, it should deviate from the his, from history. Okay. You have one more? I do. Cam Akers under 65 and a half rushing yeah. yards. Yeah. Okay. And this one is, uh, I, I first heard my friend, Eric Eager from PFF say this, and that's the exact same analysis. So I wanted to give him a shout out. But <laughs> you know, the thing about Cam Akers coming back is that while it's been an incredible story, like at least metrics wise, he has not been playing well. Like his no. rush yards over expectation is negative 0.88, which Ooh. is really bad. That means you know he's 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 averaging almost a full yard per carry, worse than what he should get based on the position of all the players at the handoff. Mm-hmm. And which like maybe makes sense for someone coming off of, you know, coming off of an injury so fast like that. Sure. And I'm, are you convinced that Cam Akers gets the most carries for the Rams because of this? Cause like, I, I, I feel like the perception is that Akers has had more burst and I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a burst expert. <laughs> um, so I don't know, but like the numbers to me do not suggest that that is someone that I want to be giving a ton of carries to. The, the burst thing, I think, comes from his one catch. He had a 40-yard catch, right, I okay. believe, against the, was it against the Cardinals? Cardinals. Or against the one yeah. of those two games, he had a 40-yard catch, and everyone was like, oh, Cam Akers is back. And he's had no burst in the running game since then. Yeah, he had a 40-yard okay. catch on a, I think, a screen. I'm going to look it up as I talk here. But, like, you know, like, that, it's possible he has that burst in the, in the Super Bowl, but... I, and and I, I do feel like there is something to the idea that the Rams have. Oh, I'm sorry, it was a trick play. He caught a 40 yard, he caught a 40 yard pass on a trick play 
Um, that was his big game. I think he had a different screen where he got 20 yards. But anyway, so I, I think what the issue is here is that, yes, like clearly the Rams value Cam Akers. And I think it is important that when he came back from that injury, when he came up from the torn Achilles, like within a couple of weeks, he was the guy in that right. backfield for the Rams. Like he got a ton of the workload, 81% of the snaps, 24 carries against the Buccaneers. He did fumble twice. That was yeah. not ideal. And in this most recent game against the 49ers, he didn't play. He played 39% of the snaps in part because he suffered a shoulder injury, which mm-hmm. I believe as we record this has kept him from practicing or at least practicing meaningfully. So I, you know, I think there's a chance that he does not get a full workload, maybe relative to what he would get if he was 100% healthy because mm-hmm of the shoulder, there's a chance he re-aggravates the shoulder injury and gets taken from the game. And they're also getting Daryl Henderson back. So now we have three different players in this backfield that the Rams trust, at least with some meaningful role. Like, I I do think that Cam Akers in maybe 55% of games is the leading rusher for the Rams in terms of the the workload, in terms of the rushing yardage. But that's really a lot of games where Cam Akers is not that guy. And right. I think you're winning the vast majority of those games. And then you're also winning a share of the games where he does, he is the leading rusher and does get 20 carries. So there's a decent chance that he does not get to 65, 65 and a half. Right. That's the thing. I think I, like, I'm, right. I might like, I'm trying to, I'm sort of torn between rushing attempts and rushing yards. Rushing yeah. yards kind of gives you two outs because he can, yeah. he can still get the workload, but play poorly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have not seen that first. So to me, it's not like, you know, is it possible that he breaks off a 40 yard run? I mean, I guess, yeah, it is possible, but that doesn't really strike me as likely at this point. Yeah. Okay, cool. All so right. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I have seen this to be fair. I've seen a lot of places agree with you. I think the, the, the cam acres rush yard under, and I think the Joe Mixon receiving yard under have been two of the most popular ones I've seen so far. Ooh, okay. I feel like we've been agreeing too much. So I, I hope I just despise this next bet that you're, that you're about to give me. I think we have built poke holes in this one, actually. So this might be a pace one where I'm not taking the pace appropriately, but I have final one total first downs in this game. So again, I looked at games over the last decade. It's a, uh, a 0.4% of the time. Those games produced 40 first downs or more. The line here is 39 and a half with a 15 cent, uh, 15 cent line. So minus 115, 39 and a half. That means 53.5% of the time by this implied probability, the game will go over 39 and a half first downs. I have it over the last decade and similarly totaled games at 58.4%. So almost a 5% difference. Now, is it possible that these teams just take a lot of big plays? And so there's not many first downs, but a lot of scoring. I suppose it's true. Could the pace of this game be slow? We don't see a lot of first downs. I think that's also possible. Um, but I could very easily see a game where these two teams are trying to take away big plays. They're playing too deep. And so we see a lot of matriculating the ball down the field. And to me, I think that is a game where this game could hit 40 first downs pretty easily. It is really interesting. You brought this one up. There was a time earlier at the earlier or last week when this line was 38 and a half. Wow. And there was another book that had a 41 and a half and that left a really large middle zone available. 
<clears throat> and so I think, so that is interesting to me. Firstly, I think, you know, then the fact that you have another, you know, another place that I, I don't know if they're still at 41 and a half, mm-hmm. but to me, I thought that was, that's a large discrepancy. That's kind of in the middle of the, you know, it's not like that's a, it's a, it's, it's a fair reasonably likely range, right. Mm-hmm. Between 39 and 41. Oh, for sure. Um, I think, I think that makes sense. And, and now I'm trying to remember because I was looking at it at the time, trying to figure out um, what was, uh, you know, how likely that, that middle range was to hit. Um, and I think it was, I don't remember exactly anymore, but anyway, <laughs> so I'm not sure I can, I want to, I want to throw cold water on this. I'm not sure I can, especially knowing that there was a, you know, there was a higher line uh, out there, but I do think it's an interesting one. And I feel like it's, you know, to see that kind of spread is, is notable. Yeah. Notable. I mean, I think very interesting because it seems like there's a pretty wide range of opinions, at least from a book side on what they think this might turn out to be. So I, I, I would be comfortable going over this one. Do you, I, you, I would, I would prefer, I would prefer the middle though. I will say if you, if, you, if I could get uh, over 38 and a half and under 41 and a half, I'll take that. Right. 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 That, that makes sense. You have a fifth uh, one, right? Am I right? No, I, I don't really have a fifth one. It's kind of similar. I had a, I know I did will any quarter be scoreless. I also had highest scoring quarter over under 20 and a half points. I had the okay. enter there, but I, um, one other one that popped up that actually came to mind for me. I don't remember which book it's at, so I apologize. I think it might be William Hill. But there is a range on number of players who will have a rush attempt in this game. I've seen seven and a half posted. I think Caesars is seven and a half. Mm-hmm. And someone else, I believe it was William Hill, had nine. Wow. And that, I, I mean, I went through the math. I would be shocked if there were nine players who got a rush attempt in this game. Nine is a lot. Okay, who can we lock in here, right? So I think you got, you got uh, Burrow, Stafford, Mix and Acres. Yep, that's four. Michelle, I think Michelle. Let's say Henderson. That's six. Henderson. I think Chase. Maybe you know. You got to think. I just think that they're going to be doing some. You know, all the all the attempts to get to stop the pass rush. I would assume they're going to be doing. Chase would be seven. And would you say Cup would be eight? Yeah, I'm trying to get. Yeah, nine seems like a lot. I mean, you it's like, and because if, if it's nine, seems like a lot. Let me, was it eight? Might have been eight, but I'm pretty sure it was nine. Um, even if it was eight, no, you sorry, have to get no, it over it. No, it was eight, it was eight. So I, that, but even like you're right, like I feel like, like the chances of there being a ninth runner, wait, Piran, mm, did we say we didn't say Piran, but does Piran run the ball that frequently? We just need one. That's true. We only need one. Maybe that's they need one, but they do love Nixon. And, and, and if they're. P. Ryan has one carry this postseason. Uh, so, yeah, maybe not. I wonder if maybe, you know, because it's the postseason, they have really focused on Nixon. So, yeah, I, right. you know, I don't think, I don't think it's like an obvious, like, you know, block bet. And I wouldn't better if I remember the actual number. But I, you know, we're assuming a lot of things that we're assuming that Henderson plays uh, and has a meaningful role in this game and does get a carry right. when he does not get a carry in this game. We're assuming that Cup and Chase both get carries, which is, you know, I, 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 I would not be shocked in the slightest if they both got carries, but, you know, I mean, Jamar Chase had how many? Jamar Chase had seven rushes this year. So it's not like he had a ton of rushes right. uh, during the regular season. Cooper Cup had um, four. So, I mean, you can't even count on either of those guys being blocked from the football. 
That's right. Yeah. It seems like nine. Yeah. Cause even, even all these things, it's like, there's a bunch of players who could get, could get one, but, but to, you sort of need two or three of those players to all get it, to get to nine. Yeah. So I, I, I think eight is a, a pretty decent number to try. And I feel like you're, you know, you might push a fair amount, but I just, it's, it's so hard for them to get nine runners in this game. Yeah. Woods was their wide receiver that had the most yes. carries this year. And so, yeah, you take him out of the equation. Yeah. Well, watch, watch like Aaron Donald get a carry to put it over. Yeah. Yeah. It over <laughs> yeah. That, that would be, uh, that would be, Hey, you know, he got, he's got, he's got to build that MVP case, you know, I, he's 12 to one. Is he, he, did he go down to 12 to one? He was 18 to one. And I thought that was, I, it's not a, you know, I live in New York. It doesn't show up for me. They don't, uh, they don't offer that bet in the state. So um, it doesn't like show, show up for me. I, I don't think they, if, if it's still 18 to one and I don't, I don't know if it is, then I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Like given the matchup, given that, like, I know people say like oh, quarterbacks get the, get the MVP a lot, but like, this is, this is someone who's like already like the biggest star on, his team mm-hmm. that's not a quarterback. So it seems right. very reasonable for him, for me, like that he could get two sacks and, and uh, maybe a forced fumble and, and be the MVP. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you hundred percent there. Um, Seth, please tell people where they can check out more of your work. Uh, at Seth Walder on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way. Awesome. Well, Seth, thank you so much. Best of luck on your props and, and your, your feelings about the game this weekend. Thank you, Bill. Oh, I should promo my, my TikTok at Seth Walder on TikTok too. Don't forget that one. Wow. I did not expect a TikTok plug from Seth Walder, but here we are. Seth, thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my guests today, Ben Baby, who covers the Bengals for us at ESPN, and Seth Walder, the sports analytics writer for ESPN. Guys, we are here. The Super Bowl is just a couple days away. Hope it's been a fun season for you. Hope you guys enjoy the game. We'll be back to wrap things up next week. So thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way.